Hello and welcome to another episode of the 60 Podcast in collaboration today with Mark from NRL Fantasy Amateurs. Mark, how are you, mate? Uh, living the dream as usual, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. First of all, I just want to ask about your own podcast. It's been around for a few years now. I'm a big fan, uh, like a lot of people are. Do you enjoy doing it and uh, how did it all start for you? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I enjoy doing it a lot of the time. Uh, the relentless march of Instagram uh, messages for fantasy advice on a Thursday afternoon sometimes is a little bit overwhelming, but uh, luckily we've got a, a good crew of people that sort of help us out and, and the community sort of does a, a lot of heavy lifting, which uh, makes it a lot easier for me. But uh, it's uh, it sort of started, uh, basically I uh, used to just do a lot of writing in a, a small fantasy group, I only had about 150, 200 members. And I, I really enjoyed just writing the content and providing my thoughts on specific players. I had a couple of uh, claims to fame that uh, endeared me to the group members. And then I had a uh, a difference of opinion with the the person who ran that group and decided to go and start my own community, sort of a halfway point between uh, there's a, a fantasy group there called uh, NRL Fantasy Talk, which I think is run by the official NRL channel. Uh, and it's kind of obviously there's a lot of people in there and it's a bit sort of messy. And then this other one was really sort of really small community. So I sort of wanted to find the really nice balance between that. And I felt like there was a gap there in the market for that product. And obviously there is because we uh, we only just hit 4,000 Facebook group members today. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's gone really well. Fantastic. Congratulations on all the success you've had. It's uh, It's been great to see uh, the development of the podcast throughout the years. And you're, you're totally right. And I say this all the time. If all a podcast was was recording an episode, I'd do two a day. It would be easy. Mm. But it's yep. not It's not all that's involved. Hey, um, just on to fantasy for the year. Uh, a lot of questions mm-hmm. that a lot of people start off with. Nico, Cleary or both? Uh, that's actually a really good question. We, um, we sort of kicked that around on our sharks podcast just recently i'm a i'm a noted cleary naysayer uh, from way back uh, for anyone that listens to the podcast for the last couple of years three years in a row in fact i've been horrendously anti-cleary in the preseason and every year it's bitten me uh and then uh last year i sort of i started making the switch and i'm and i'm now a, a strongly pro cleary guy uh, so naturally what will happen is, is Nico will, will beat him this year. Now that I've, I've jumped it. <laughs> Fair enough. Do, do, do you get worried when you have those sorts of players? Like clearly those two are, are the dominant two in, in fantasy at mm. the moment. Um, do you get worried that if you don't pick them, particularly if you're playing overall, that it's just too hard to crawl back because uh, throughout the year, you're going to, you're going to get your injuries. You're going to get your suspensions. Like that's natural. Mm. It happens to every team. Um, even though everyone feels like it's only their team that cops injuries and suspensions. But <laughs> do you, do you feel like if you don't start with at least one, you could fall behind really quick? I do. And uh, so one of the big focuses that we put on our podcast is we do a lot of what I would call game theory. 
uh, I've, I've borrowed that from a, a NFL podcaster that I really like. Uh, their podcast is called The Undroppables. If anybody follows the NFL, it's really interested in him. Uh, he talks a lot about on his podcast about the game theory and, and the strategy behind why we do what we do rather than just blindly giving advice, this player's good, this player's bad, without any sort of context or reasoning or, or study to it. And and there's a, a section that we did basically the, the pros and cons of why rule number one exists. You know, anyone who's been playing fantasy for a long time will remember our fantasy rule number one was by Cameron Smith, Captain Cameron Smith. That always used to be rule number one because he had a 60 average, which these days is kind of ho-hum and a bit boring. Uh, but back in those days, it was 60 was massive. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, the that was the reason that was rule number one is because of the the advantage of of having those high points and so we actually uh, do articles uh, and they're available on the website at the moment where we drill into why it's so critical to start with those players from an actual game theory numbers perspective and and you know yes is the answer because you know you take Cleary for example he's in over half of the teams at the moment so and and everyone that owns him has him as the captain. So the risk to reward ratio of you not starting with him, particularly when it's the highest averaging player in the game, just makes it completely not feasible for you not to start with him. Yeah, that's right. And you're right about Cameron Smith. If, if Cameron Smith was playing today, it, was, it would be as if someone was averaging 75 to 80, the, like compared yeah. to 10 years ago when he was averaging 60. It was quite phenomenal. Um, mm. uh, I want to ask you, is there a player that outside of those two, that when the teams come up and you could pick your team, you went to straight away. Was there just a, a magnet for you straight away for a player, whether there was some off-season talk or maybe you just had your mind on him about a price or was there a player for you? Uh, there's a, there's a few guys, a few guys. I I subscribe to the uh, players you like to watch uh, theory. So, you know, starting with players that you like to watch play is, is always a, a good time, makes the game more interesting. So in past years, I was always a big Andrew Fafita guy because I really liked watching him, even though I didn't like the Sharks. Yeah. Uh, and the 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 wing fullback pairing of Ryan Pappenhausen, Jaden Campbell, I think is, you know, price point wise, game theory wise and enjoyment wise, they tick all three of those boxes for me. So they're, they've been in every single draft of every team, that I've had, but um, I don't know if your listeners want to get a uh, a hot hot piece of goss on the the guy that I'm I'm really hot at the moment actually, as uh, Will Penasini, uh, who actually is ne- not somebody that I had. Uh, so I had him when he was a cash cow, obviously, but uh, hit the split on Penasini with him without Moses uh, in a really really tough center position is is really sort of sucking me in, even at the price. So. He's, uh, yeah, he's one that maybe is a, a lot less ownership. I think he's only one point something percent owned at the moment. The center position is such an interesting one, isn't it? Like that, whenever there's a second row center, bang, they're in straight away. You mm. don't even, you don't even look twice. But uh, this, and, and if you don't get one of those, you're generally looking cheap, aren't you? You're looking for those cash cows in the center position because the fact of the matter is they're not gonna, they're they're, they're not the big scorers in the in the NRL. Uh, is, is that apart from Penasini, have you gone cheap at center? Um, well, it's it's actually interesting that you bring that up. So one of these game theory uh, aspects that we looked at in the off season was the fundamental change in how the NRL is running uh, from previous years to this year. And and what we actually saw was a draft drastic shift in two positions in particular. Uh, hooker was one and center was the other, where 
Um, you know, in the past, we've had hookers, Damien Cook, Harry Grant. Uh, previously, you know, the aforementioned Cameron Smith. We had Robbie Farrell. We had all these guys, 60-plus average if they're playing 80 minutes. Whereas last year, uh, I think Harry Grant was the highest averaging hooker at 57, and he was a pretty consistent 80-minute player. So what we actually saw was every single full-time hooker that played in the NRL had a lower tackles per minute rate than than previous years uh, on their own individual personal average. That's every single hooker. So that wasn't like a an individual thing. Whereas in the center position, what we saw was every single center that I studied uh, had a higher run meters, tackle bus and tackles than what their previous average was, every single one. So what we actually saw was, in my opinion, uh, maybe uh, the, the, the early birth of a little bit of analytics uh, in the NRL in terms of understanding players' workloads. So you think about the game, like if I didn't, t- if I hadn't told you about that and I said, of all the players, all the positions in the NRL, what's the position that you think does the least amount of work? You would say center, wouldn't you? Yes. Because obviously your wingers, they do a lot of the hit-ups and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I wonder if what's actually happened is coached of, coaches have clued on to the fact that these centers are basically just hanging out there on the wing. The wingers are taking the hit-ups. They take a, a a tough carry every two or three sets and they make 10 or 11 tackles a game. And, and you know, outside of the, the high-flying centers like, you know, your Valentine Holmes and et cetera, that's, that's kind of all they really do. And and statistically, you know, like when we talk about center, the big thing that everybody talks about of why they're so critical is because defensively in the line, they've got to make the tough decisions about whether to jam in or whatever. But, you know, statistically, there's not a lot of load on that specific aspect of the game. It's more of a mental thing. So what they're actually probably, in my opinion, we've seen coaches work that out and realize that they've got to have the centers do more work, spread the ball a little bit wider than what they normally would. And those those carries that are being taken by the edge back rowers and even the, the middle forwards are now being taken more by the centers, which is why we saw, you know, I don't know if you, anyone that's been playing for a while, uh, 40 used to be a pass mark for a center. Yep. Uh, la- last year we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 different centers hit 40 where in the past that would have been two or three. Yep. Uh, even guys like Marion Seve was at 40, you and Aiken 39.9, Ramian 39.8. That's not included in those numbers even as well. So it was kind of almost 20 different guys who were, you know, across the board higher output than what we normally would have expected. So, you know, where in the past it, the conventional wisdom might've been, you know, go cheap at center. And I mean, that's still a good thing. You know, you got Dan Gagai who busted out an average of 55 last year. Uh, which, you know, is up there with with anything that a forward did. So, you know, maybe the pendulum's shifting a little bit and, you know, with a guy like Penasini or these types of players, Penasini was a, the captain of the Australian schoolboys team that Suali was in. So obviously the pedigree is there and, and you know, maybe he's the next great centre like Dan Gagai. It, it's interesting you say that. And that that to me makes fantasy so great in the fact that, Obviously, through those stats now, there are a lot more different keeper-centre combinations you can have, and therefore Mm. there creates a lot more combinations of teams that can be had because gone are the days now where I think there was one year, there was John Bateman, and I think it might have been Britton Britton Okora. Yeah, the same year, everyone had them. It wasn't – it's not fun. You know know what I mean? There's no skill in that. 
So the fact that you say that there is a concerted effort by coaches to get centers more ball means that there is centers scoring more. So therefore there's more center keeper combos. Do you look at it that way as well? Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. Like, you know, you got, you know, just here, not including Penasini and Hamasai Tabuai Fado, who's the guy who's my other center. So I'm spending over 1.1 million in the centers where normally I'd be looking at five, 600 K as a centers. You know, you got Joseph Manu, Herbie Farmworth, Isaac Tungo, Gagai, you know, all these guys are all Ruben Garrick, even Valentin Holmes, Stephen Crichton, even Campbell Graham, you know, all of those guys, you'd be happy as a 45 plus average center. Uh, and, you know, and that, at that point, instead of it just being, oh, we got John Baton and Britton Nicaro, we got, um, you know, the year before that, I think it was Chris Lawrence and, and, you know, someone who was a 38 average and Sione Mataudia, those yeah. two was, it was a center combo, you know? So this year you might have seven different guys and instead of, you know, generating your 40 average from getting 32 tackles and 80 run meters, it's, you know, tries, tackle bus, kicking goals. It's, you know, line breaks. It's a much excite more exciting brand of football because you, you'll notice that none of those guys that I mentioned were like fake centers where they were actually playing in the back row. They were actually all genuine centers. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Great insight. Um, One thing I want to talk to you about, and look, I, I totally acknowledge that I could be reading way too much into this, and this could be a bit of tinfoil hat stuff. Uh, okay. the, start, the start of the season, the four teams going to Las Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. So all four of those teams are playing on a field over there that is actually smaller than a NRL ground in Australia. Uh, therefore, okay. theoretically, now it's only, it's only a couple of metres, but theoretically there should be less room for breaks on the outside in particular for tries. So therefore going off the back of a preseason where every single coach in the NRL preaches defense, I just get the feeling that they, they're wanting to go over there and uh, have this point scoring extravaganza and show the game off. I think we might actually get a couple of dud games over there. Are you worried about uh, the fact that going into the year? So maybe someone starts with Reese Walsh and Reese Walsh has a 20 in round one. Maybe it's just something to look at as far as just round one, maybe going, hey, Reese Walsh might be a bit of a discount in a couple of weeks or uh, just just a couple of other players, uh, particularly attacking stats-wise, um, maybe just hold off on the first week. Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's, a, there's definitely the potential for that. I mean, uh, we try not to put too much stock in one-game sample sizes either. Although if you want to add even more weight to your theory, uh, traditionally – people that have to travel a lot don't score that well. So, you know, in addition to your, uh, you know, talking about the the field size, it could also be a matter of, you know, they're jet lagged or whatever, and then they're going to travel all the way back. So also you got round two as well, potentially a little bit impacted, less trainings, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, not to mention <laughs> one of the coaches, I don't remember who it was. Oh, it's Kevin Walters saying he's not going to put any like restrictions on his players, not letting them go out into the <laughs> casinos and stuff. So, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, I think there's some sort of a, a market on uh, which player is going to get into trouble in the offseason. Hopefully they all behave themselves. But um, I, I think on the flip side of that, though, if there's going to be less points and more ball in play, uh, do we put more towards the players that accrue base stats as being a benefit? So your Cameron Murray, Tavita Totola, who people are looking at, even Josh Schuster, obviously he's an attacking player, but we're expecting a lot of his points to come through tackles and whatever. I did notice that the NRL scheduled four of the top five fullbacks in the NRL to play in that Vegas 
the only one they missed was Kalen Ponga, but they had Turbo, Luttrell, Teddy and Reese Walsh heading over there. So I wonder if that was intentional to try to spark up the attack. But um, yeah, I think, I think for the most part, every player that's involved in that trip that I'm looking at is more of a base stat selection anyway. So I, I, I don't think it's going to play into my strategy, but I'll, I'll take anybody taking a flyer on Reese Walsh in round one with, you know, the risks associated with that. Anyway, uh, I'm, um, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, a pretty strong opinion on the Broncos outlook this year. And um, yeah, so I'd, I'd love as many people as possible to buy into Reese Walsh. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a great point you make. Base stats could go up, and it, it wouldn't shock you if Payne Haas has a ninety in a in a twelve ten win. You know what I mean? Like there yep. there could there yep. could be that situation as well. Uh, but also, you know, we had Anthony Seabold on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he had just gotten back from Vegas at the time, and uh, they're struggling to find any fields there to train at the moment. So they, it could mm-hmm. be quite sloppy. Uh, the the football that we see over there, like I'm not expecting to see games of the year in Las Vegas. Like let's let's no. put it like that. Like it, I'm I'm very prepared to see some dull football that you know yep. all of they all, all the game tries to pump up and go this is the greatest thing ever, and all of us back here go this is rubbish. So yeah, <laughs> so I'm very prepared I, for that. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago they opened the season with Parramatta versus the Bulldogs in the absolute pouring rain on a Thursday night. Yes. And if that wasn't the worst game of NRL I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) So, you know, anything after that will be a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, As far as trades go, do you map out the season as far as what targets you want to hit? Like as far as how many trades you want to have at certain times, or are you just a go with the flow sort of guy? Uh, I would be lying if I said it was a go with the flow sort of guy. Uh, I call myself a stay water guy. So I have a, I have a loose plan. Uh, I do, I plan sort of three to four weeks in advance. Uh, but I never sort of spend all my trades in my planning, if that makes sense. So I'll, you know, I, you know, we do a little bit of a, you know, an, uh, an assessment on trade levels and, and basically you got to set aside a third of your trades for the year for injuries and suspension and unplanned trades. So, you know, at any time you have to expect that something like that can occur. And if you're operating on, you know, being able to plan your, uh, your full trades constantly, you just, you know, destined for failure and, and disappointment there. But uh, we did a, a mid-season article, which we put out in sort of round nine, ten last year, basically like perfect buy planning, where we actually worked out how you could have perfect buy coverage through the entire period by using only four trades through the entire time due to manipulating which teams had which buys in which weeks. Uh, so that was that was pretty cool. And Nigel, who was the guy who ended up actually coming second, uh, was saying he he used that article a lot for his his planning. So. Uh, there's a, I'm shamelessly plugging myself, but, uh, that, it took a, like a, I I can't explain to you how many hours it took me to put that together, but it was, you know, that was planning, but that was also, you know, a bit of content building and, you know, cause people sort of go, Oh, I need to save a bunch of trades so I can max trade the whole way through the state of origin period to keep up. And it's like, well, no, you don't actually have to do that as long as you structure your team properly. And, you know, we, once again, with the game theory, we talk a lot about, you know, structuring your team and, you know, following good process uh, because, you know, like, like the NRL, NRL fantasy is 
part luck and part planning. And, you know, the luck stuff is what it's going to be. And there's nothing you can really do about that. But if you follow a process, you have your structures in place, you have your, you know, your plans for why you pick a certain type of player or avoid a certain type of player, uh, you're going to be more successful more often than not, which is why we typically see a lot of the same guys up the top every year because they have their process that they follow. Fantastic. And uh, just final question, your favorite cash cow to start the season. Oh, okay. Um, I I feel that um, I don't know if this guy's even a cash cow. Um, I'm really excited to see what Kyle Flanagan brings to the dragons. Uh, I don't know if I'd say he's my favorite cash cow, but I really want to see him succeed. And I think he and Ben Hunt can be a really good combination. Um, so yeah, probably him. Uh, I'm not overly passionate about any of them, to be completely honest. I'm I'm really hoping that we get some more, like a KL Eero or someone like that uh, comes up because yeah, at the moment we're sort of staring down the barrel of Danny Levi and and a few players like that being our uh, our linchpins. Hey, mate, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, we'll do this a couple of times uh, throughout the year as well. It's a lot of fun. I uh, really appreciate your time. You've done a hell of a job uh, with your podcast, so congratulations on all the success in that, and uh, hopefully talk soon, hey? Yeah, sounds good. Same to you. Uh, thanks for having me on, and it's always good to, you know, try to be the uh, the the guest contributor rather than the host every now and then. It's a nice, nice break. So, yeah, I'll look forward to it. Absolutely. That's Mark from the NRL Fantasy Amateurs. My name is Tom from 6 Podcast, and that is full time.